Hey everyone, it's Henry, Mike, and Jeff of The Decentralists, and welcome to Season 5. You may be wondering, where the heck have we been for the last four months? Well, our fearless leader has been busy, and uh, Mike, how about I throw it right over to you? Maybe you can give everyone an update. I am in Kiev, in um, the capital of Ukraine, and I have been here since, well, basically on and off, what's to say, since August 6th. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, to kind of set the premise here, you know, normally I would be sitting in my cushy um, reclining chair with my fancy headphones and my fancy microphone. And now I'm in uh, my hotel room in Kiev uh, that's running on a generator uh, right now. And I'm using my regular, you know, kind of Apple headphones with the regular microphone. So apologies to everybody listening. If it's my voice is not as melodious and as uh, high quality as, as usual, <laughs> but we do, you know, we, we, we do have to make a few sacrifices um, in Ukraine at this point right now. And I actually feel like I'm Ukrainian because I've now been here for almost four months. So Mike, how do you get from, and I, I don't mean mentally or physically, but how do you actually travel from a comfy chair in Vancouver to, to there? How do you even get there? Yeah. What's happened? Like, like what, don't, what, what I mean is like you fly to somewhere and you get on a train and you cross a border and you get on a, like, how, how do you actually get there? Okay. So I got on a plane in Vancouver and I flew uh, nonstop to Frankfurt, Germany. Then I transferred onto a flight to Warsaw, Poland, you know, so you spend a day, then you, you know, you, you kind of overnight, then you have to get to a border town in uh, the border between, so you have two options in Poland to get from uh, into Ukraine. One is kind of, let's say, directly um, east of Warsaw, which is kind of in the northern part of Poland. And you go through a town called Chelm. And I don't know how it's pronounced in Polish because I literally cannot understand any of the names. And you take a train there, and that train is 14 and a half hours, but it's 20 kilometers from the Belarusian border. So I opted not to take that route. And the most common route is you go south through Krakow to a town called Przemysl, um, that is right on the border of, of uh, Ukraine. And then there are, say, three or four trains a day um, from Przemysl into Kiev. And the total train ride from Warsaw to Kiev is 24 hours. Oh, man. 24 hours. And you present yourself at the border with your passport and say hi, and they say, come on in. Yeah. And that's all there is to it? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're somebody like a Canadian or an American or an EU passport or something, you're treated like a regular border crossing human in Europe, right? You have 90 days out of 180 and, you know, you, if the train goes across the border, you know, starts in Prashemis, goes make maybe half an hour, stops, a bunch of border guards get on, they grab all your, everybody's passport, and then, you know, they just, you know, come by and stamp them and, and you go. Uh, Mike, explain to the listeners why you're there. What's happening and what does it have to do with the Decentralists and our technology? Well, so, you know, if we want to flash back literally um, 12 months. Because it was last November, as you recall, we did an we did an episode, um, we did a couple of episodes that were related to this thing called HLP, Homeland and Property. Right, right. Remember, we had the game changers with the the student interns that we had, and one of them, her name was Sadaf. 
Yes. And Sadaf had gone and done a a kind of a let's say an assessment of this humanitarian uh, area called HLP, and she's a a blockchain you know UBC blockchain student. So she came to to us because we were thinking of identity differently, right? So you know we've talked about digital identity and blah 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 for in different guises for years now, and. What it came down to is, is our approach, and this was with many one, right? Yep, that yep. was our, that was the kind of the brand. Um, and the idea was, is that we think of digital identity differently, which we call self-attested identity. Okay, so this idea of what, how I choose to identify myself to anyone, especially in a digital form, should be up to me. Right. So if I wanted, if I want to, you know, connect with you, Henry, and you run the, the, you know, you run the grocery store and all I want to give you is my credit card number and that's it. That's all I should have to give you. Right. But, if, but, you know, with the way digital identity and all this stuff works nowadays, you know, you're every time you, you take one of these digital identity platforms, it's hooked or your Apple pay wallet, for example, and you go to the grocery store and you go, Boot, right. Apple knows everything that you've just purchased when, where, all of the identity attributes you have, they share them with the grocery store, la, right. la, 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 So we had this self-attested identity and Sadaf joined us to do some research on, on identity and different applications. And she was like, you know, I did this work um, with this, this NGO called New America and they have this different idea for identity for HLP because homeland and property is kind of a unique scenario where, um, and this was before February 24th, right? I'm back in November last year. Oh, yeah. And at that point, you know, the, the big kind of conflict that had seen so many people displaced was Syria. And all of us had seen these pictures of, you know, Homs and, and Damascus and all these places where they're literally blown to bits, right? And so you have these, these refugees and IDPs, internally displaced people, right? So they're not outside the border. They're still in Syria. And, you know, they're, they're like just doing their day-to-day work and their house gets blown up right in front of them. Well, chances are in that house was maybe their passports, their driver's license, yeah, their land title, if they even yeah. have one, right? So all of this stuff that you need to deter, to show, to prove who you are as a human, what your, say, academic credentials or your job credentials are, and the fact that you owned a house that now no longer exists because um, some Russian, you know, artillery piece just blew it to bits. Yeah, or they have used it as a staging area or something. Totally, something, anything, anything that basically. My point is, is that you you cannot get back to your house. You cannot get to your documents, and all you know is is that you and your wife and your kids are running, right? Literally with the shirts on your back. And so what happens in this case is these, these poor Syrian people were crossing the border into, say, Turkey or into Jordan or places like this, where there's these huge refugee camps. Everybody knows what they look like, all those white tents with the UN symbol on them. Yeah. And they literally have to prove who they are and prove that their house, they owned a house and it was blown up because yeah. they have a right to get that restitution and get that back. And so, you know, we started this, you know, Sadaf did this research and she, she was, you know, we were doing the whole, how, what's the use case, right? Software, Jeff knows this, right? You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a product manager, right? You know, you need to build 
software for a specific application, or you risk, you know, building something that nobody wants, right? So Sadaf basically did this thing and she said, well, you know, right now, all of these people, there's 85 million people in refugee camps all around the world, and they have no identity and they have no proof of ownership or occupation of property. Wouldn't it be great? And, and right now, the only way they can document it is on paper by standing in a line for like a month to talk to some poor, overworked um, human who writes it down on paper and may not even speak their language. Right. Okay. And, and so it literally takes 10 years for these people to establish an identity and, and, and get back to some form of normal. And after 10 years as a refugee, what's normal? You know what I mean? Yeah, but yet half of them have like uh, uh, inexpensive cell phones. Is that correct? Exactly. So the idea is, is you know, so as we start to go through this, so Sadaf comes up, she says, look, here's, this would be what you guys, what we're doing with digital identity in terms of self-attested is a very good use case for people being able to self-attest to their identity and their occupation of a home. And they could use a, a mobile device, which often you'll have these big diasporas of families, like 30 people, right? Uncles and aunts and cousins and grandmas and, you know, da, 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 and all these kids. And there'll be one teenager in that group that has a phone. Mm -hmm. And so if you could basically use a phone that had some kind of internet connection and you could allow people to build their own evidence, right? So I may go in and I may say, well, I don't have any identity documents. I don't have any ownership of my home documents, but here's my address. Okay. Here's my name. Um, here's a, here's a PDF of a power bill that I pay online. Yeah. Um, you know, here's my Uber eats history and here's pictures of my home and here's pictures of me in my house at Christmas time and you know, yada, yada, yada. And now all of a sudden that's potentially enough evidence for say an NGO or somebody like the UN, you know, HCR or UN development program to go. I think you're, you really are, Michael, and I think that really is your house, and I'm going to help you get that back. And what's interesting is in other parts of the world, and we mentioned this in the podcast and also uh, when we spoke with John Unruh in, in one of our shows, was that one of the mechanisms that people are using to document their, their home, their land, their property is Facebook. So they're going on Facebook and they're and they're taking all these pictures and their friends are liking these pictures because they trust Facebook. They don't know to not trust Facebook and perhaps it's okay to trust Facebook in this example, if, if that's all you got. Um, but there's no sort of formal structure to clearly define things. They're just taking a bunch of photos and videos and, and, and things on Facebook because they trust Facebook more than they trust the land title office in, in the country they're in. Well, that's exactly right. And, and um, you know, if there even is a land title office, right? Because, I mean, there's a whole bunch of, uh, there's a whole bunch of, um, you know, countries where they just don't even have the capabilities to even do land title. If you have a barber shop, it may not even be in the land title office. It's just a building where you're cutting people's hair. So exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, so, so essentially this, you know, we, we get it, we get down into this as a software company, you know, uh, I mean, I'm kind of thinking, holy, this is a perfect use case. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, Henry and, and Jeff, you know, the three of us have worked together in software for many years. Uh, and we've also worked independently in software for many years. And, um, 
I've never had personally, I've never had the the ability to work in a software company where what the stuff that I that we were making and that I was selling, I felt truly made a difference to people's lives. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, absolutely, especially when you consider um, the application of this many one um, is secure and private, unlike Facebook, which the the invaders could go on and see exactly what you're claiming and do the same despite it. Well, this is it. And, 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 and I mean, at the, you know, as at the end of the day, if you're a refugee who literally has nothing, then you'll take your chances that your enemy, the regime you're fleeing from can, can clearly publicly view the fact that you're claiming to own a house because it's better than nothing. Okay. And, and so, you know, we basically reach this, you know, we have this awesome, not only is it a is it a, an actual really good application of this idea of self-attested identity that we wanted to do, right? Self-attest to your identity and then determine your own connections. And those connections are secure, anonymous, right? Untraceable because we were using Tor, okay? Mm -hmm. And so that, that, was, that was the idea. Hey, here we are, we're building this thing and we think it's an actual better way for real humans to connect. And then the war happens. Yes. Okay. So then it's all of a sudden flash forward a couple of months and February 24th, Russia invades Ukraine. Okay. And that was, that was it. I mean, uh, my dad was born in Ukraine in a small town named, named called Ripneev, right between Ternopil and Lviv. As were my grandparents. I consider myself to be, uh, you know, I, I've, I've always been kind of proud and of my Ukrainian heritage. I've always, you know, I've got my Ukrainian football jersey and, you know, I'm the only guy in the bar that's wearing it, um, you know, when the, when the Euros are on or something like this. And um, this, was, this was personal. And this was, you know, you remember those early stages of the war. Everybody's like three days and, you, and Ukraine's going to get taken over and all this other stuff. Yes. And then it was like a month later and the good people of Ukraine had given Russia a bloody nose yep. and it looked like they weren't going to stop. And so a, it's a mixture of pride and B it's a mixture of the betrayal as a Ukrainian, even as a Canadian Ukrainian that I felt from Russia, because even I was kind of like, ah, they're the same thing. Hey, they're like brothers, you know, blah, blah, blah. So now what you have is in, in, in Syria, 13 million people were displaced, but it took eight years to displace that many. Four months, three and a half to four months is all it took to displace the 14 million Ukrainians, right? Out of 44. So 33% of the population wow. left their houses and are either living in another country or living in Ukraine, but they're living at, you know, their parents' place, their grandparents' place, whatever. So now it was, it was clear that we needed to focus on um, the, the solution that we'd already been working on, right? We'd done, you know, like a, as Jeff mentioned, we talked to people like Unra, who's an expert, and Yulia Panfil and all these different folks. We had a use case, and now we had a, a, a reason, right? A real personal reason. And, I'm, you know, I mean, I will admit it. it was, it's because I'm Ukrainian heritage. But still... It's a travesty. It's tragic. It's an illegal and unjustified occupation. And, and pe people are dying every day. Right. And so, um, you know, at that point, we decided that there was an, enough 
of a market, let's just say from a traditional software perspective, okay, there was enough of a market because now there's 100 million refugees and IDPs around the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a great cause. And um, it just it needed to be done because these people need to be able to not go through any more trauma in their lives. People who've been displaced, who've refugees, and I mean, Henry, I'll tell you, boys, live, being here for four months, you hear so many stories Ugh. of, the, you know, like it's not even close to the stuff you hear. And, um, uh, you know, the, the idea that we could use what we were going to build to actually help people here and then almost like battle test it. Literally. Come into Ukraine while the war is going on. Literally, literally, right? Come into Ukraine while this war is going on and, and say, look, we can help, right? So that was kind of the start of this, of this, you know, kind of, I, I want to say, quixotic quest to um, work with Ukraine. And then we were, you know, we were lucky in that a bunch of the people that we'd been working with um, gave us an opportunity for, uh, for me and, and for me and, and, uh, Unra and Igor, the three of us came to Ukraine. We had an opportunity to come and kind of spend some time. It was like, look, come guys, we're going in. I got an, I got a reason to go. And we just, you know, I just jumped at it and came over it. August. Well, yeah, but, but who did you meet with? You just can't show up, but how did, how did, who did you meet with at first? We just showed up, frankly. But, um, you know, one of our colleagues, Igor Svetkovsky, he's, he's with the IOM, which is the UN Migration Office. Ah. And um, they've got a, a bunch of, they've got like 100 employees here that are trying to figure out how to deal with these refugees and IDPs, people that are moving around. That's what these guys do, guys and girls. And so Igor's like, well, look, they've asked me to come, to come in and start to try to talk to some people. As Jeff had mentioned, at this point, you know, with Igor's help and, and John's help and a bunch of other great people's help, we had put this note together, this concept uh, guidance note, we called it, which was to come in and help the Ukrainian government. And, you know, hopefully, right, they, there was no meeting set up at the time. No. Nope. But the idea was to come to come to Ukraine and say, look, you know, we are a group of, you know, well-meaning uh, well-intentioned and well and, and and experienced HLP practitioners. You've got you know thirty years of going all over the world, helping people in places like Yemen and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and you know South Sudan and all these places recover from war scenarios and and get their homes and houses rebuilt. Like think of Bosnia, think of the whole Yugoslav kind of conflict, right? Sure. And and um, you know the the Ukrainians had. Had, had anticipated this war was going to happen and they had a, they put a law in place that was going to set up this structure to allow everybody to get their houses or to claim compensation from Russia because it was a betrayal. But that law just wasn't good enough. Okay? It was good that it's there. It just it was not written. It was written on it was written and released for first reading on the 25th of February. Oh boy. Well, the day after the war started, right? When nobody could have anticipated that it would be what 10 months or something like this now and running that there would be 14 million people displaced and that, you know, great swaths of the country would be covered in mines and destroyed and all this other stuff. Cause it was the 25th. 
at that point, it was Crimea and those little breakaway republics in Luhansk and Donetsk. Right. You know what I mean? And so they put this together saying, oh, you know, how many people can there possibly be displaced? So it's not a, a, a criticism of the Ukrainian government. I mean, they did their thing, but it wasn't anticipating the scale of the problem. And when it comes to things like individual humans claiming for their houses and property and all this stuff, it's, it's, it, 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 you, you need to have a flexible system that will allow for all circumstances, because the worst, the, the, the biggest consideration has to be the trauma that these people are going through on a daily basis. Right. And also to ensure that whatever, you know, that, that what might seem like one small little request, which to them is everything doesn't just get lost in the noise. Right. Like in the, in the scope of reparations for power plants and for aircraft and for everything else, you know, somebody's farmhouse in the South might not count for much, but it counts for everything for those people. And so making sure that's recorded and, and is, is part of it is, is essential. Absolutely. And thank goodness we've got Dr. John Unruh from McGill University in Montreal, who is uh, one of the world's top experts on HLP involved with the development of this software. Absolutely. To Jeff's point, I mean, you know, the you know, the, uh, the idea is it's, it's, it's when you're talking about large numbers of people, like 14 million, right? Um, you're, you're talking about a group, of, a group of people who are in very stressful situations. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing that they need first and foremost is some kind of assurance that there's something that there's something positive uh which is not easy at the end of the the kind of this scenario that there's going to be an end that right. there's going to be you know a time when they're going to go back to their family home um or at least or hell at least their family plot right um you know there's going to be some kind of resolution for this horrendous, um, you know, kind of crime, because let's face it, gentlemen, uh, I don't think there's probably, uh, you know, with the exception of perhaps the Ukrainian folk or any other folk who've, you know, been in war type scenarios, you, the three of us have probably never sat down in our day-to-day -day lives, in our entire existence and contemplated, hmm, what'll happen tomorrow if I just, if I come home and our house is blown up and there's people shooting at me and I have to run? Absolutely not. It's beyond comprehension to me. Right? I wonder if I'm going to have my kids tomorrow. You know, Jeff? Like, oh, but, you know, because maybe they just get taken away. It's it's actually too uncomfortable to think of, but yet Ukrainians are living this um, on a daily basis. And we've got to think about it. We can't stop thinking about it. Exactly right. And that's a perfect uh, uh, time to uh, uh, say, Michael, I know you've got to run considering what's happening in Kiev right now, but what we can do, I mean, there's so much more to talk about and we've got a lot more questions and I'd like to continue this in the uh, next time you have an opportunity to get online because I do realize that the internet service there is spotty and power is spotty, but um, Michael, thanks so much and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Stay safe, my friend. Stay safe. Thank you very much. Slava Ukraine.